back to another episode of the 90th percentile this is your host jeff ponce alongside me as always is my co-host my partner in crime matt payjack matt today we're welcoming on another guest after uh we painfully put the people through uh, in uh, multiple episodes uh over the last few weeks where we didn't have a guest we had brian in between but uh I don't know, man. We we got to have the guests back on because we got to put somebody in the hot seat. We got to ask some questions about subs and then talk a little bit about baseball. So I want to welcome in DC Arendis. He is the director of player development for Rice Baseball and Rice Academy, which is something that we're going to discuss a little bit today. Uh, welcome to the show, DC. I think the first thing that we have to do is put you on the hot, hot seat with sandwiches. All right. Ask that question and answer session over to Matt. Yeah, you got DC Arendis on. Uh, he's my co-host and partner in crime. Uh, happy to have him. <laughs> DC, uh, culture us a little bit. You're based out of Houston, Texas. Uh, you work at Rice. Um, you've told me a whole lot about the original Carabas, and I think a lot of people are familiar with Carabas, but I don't think they knew that there was an original Carabas and that it's down in the Houston area and that it's an entirely different experience. Uh, so I want to hear about that. And I also want to get your take on the infamous Papa's line of restaurants. Okay. I got you. Uh, man. So one of the first meals that I had in Houston, um, someone was like, Hey, we're going to Carabas. And I was like, no offense. Like I've moved here from North Carolina. I've had Carabas before in my life. Like, is this the, is this how we're setting this whole thing off here? And they're like, no, you haven't had Carabas. And I was like, but I have, like, I promise you I have. Uh, I've been to multiple of the chain locations <laughs> in North Carolina. Like, it's good. But I wanted some Tex-Mex. Like, what do we really got? And so they're like, no, you, got, you really haven't been. This is the original. It's a bit different menu than you're used to. Uh, go here and order the steak. And I was like, man, I got I'm not sure I'm, I'm following you on this, like an Italian restaurant. I'm sure the steak's good, but I'm probably going to go with something different just based off where you're taking me and, and trusting your food choice right now. But I was completely blown away. Uh, the, the restaurant's amazing. The steak was great. It is not the same menu uh, as what you may have been used to at a chain, uh, Carabas. And Mr. Caraba himself greets you at the door very, very well done from a service standpoint. It's now a place that I've grown to love because uh, whenever we have recruits at Rice, we typically tend to take them to Carabas. So it's a uh, it's an experience that I would say when you guys come to Houston, we'll have to make sure uh, that you try. I'm in. Yeah, yeah Jeff, when he was telling me about this, it reminded me of Pizzeria Regina because there's Pizzeria Regina chains all over Eastern Mass. Yeah, and like sure. it's just entirely different than what you get when you go to the north end location. Um, yeah, I think that's but like, yeah, it, it makes a ton of sense that there's an original Carabas, right? Yeah, I'm excited that it's very different and uh, much more of like your standard classy uh, sit down Italian restaurant than uh, a, an upgraded version of Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, and, and before we get rolling into this whole thing, I do want to get your Texas take on the the Papa's chains because that is a very Texas thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for me, 
I'm not living in Texas. Like when I go down there, like, I'm like, why is everything called Papa's? And is it legit or? Yeah. No, I like it. We, um, so Papa's barbecue, we actually had catered for our wedding. So we probably have a different view maybe than some have for it. Uh, right. It was special to us, but yeah, man. I mean, I've been to the Papa Steakhouse, uh, Papa Seafood, and then obviously the barbecue. It's all been good. I haven't had a bad meal there yet. It's it's unique to the sense, obviously, that it's a family-owned deal here. And they've obviously had a huge presence in Houston for multiple decades. Um, That's another one we can add to the list. If you haven't had it yet, we can add one of the spots at their multiple locations that we could try. So we got Carabas and then we got a form of the Papa's restaurants for when you guys come down here. We can do that. Yeah, I had Papa's barbecue years ago. And the thing that I remember most about it was the size of the drink cup. Okay. And the drink cup was like it was like this big old like plastic cup, but you could probably fit a half gallon in there. And there I got like a like a jalapeno like lime drink of some sort and it was like it, it was a good idea at the time and then you started drinking it and you're like this isn't really what i what i want to drink with my barbecue but um, <laughs> kind of yeah. yeah anyway uh yeah jeff uh do you want to you want to tee up the audience on, on what we got here sure, with this sure. yeah so i you know we're going to talk a little bit about dc's backgrounds um you know, what he's doing with Rice Academy, get into what that is to find that a little bit for you uh, and have a greater discussion about that and sort of uh, what the goals are and, you know, et cetera. So I think it's probably a good time to maybe get into DC's background unless uh, unless you had any other food-related inquiries that you wanted to throw out there. No, no more food-related inquiries. I want to know where DC's actually from. Enough talk of Houston. All right. So, yeah, you, you talked a little bit about the Carolinas uh in in texas now where are you from what's your background and uh let's talk a little bit about your journey in in in, uh, baseball yeah so i i was born in shelby north carolina i lived there until i was eight years old um my family moved to greensboro north carolina at that time so for you know fifth grade through high school i lived in greensboro uh, went to northern guilford high school was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to play at South Carolina after uh, graduating high school. It's a place that's always going to be home for us. My family still lives there. Um, A place that we only really get back now for Thanksgiving and Christmas, just based on our schedule and uh, the different responsibilities we have work-wise, but a place that will always be near and dear to my heart um, and my wife's as well. That's where we met. We met our senior year of high school. Uh, so there's some there's some things that we'll always hold close to our uh, our family as a, as a result of growing up in North Carolina. Um, I was fortunate that I grew up around the game from an early age. My dad played at UNC. Uh, he now works in the baseball office at UNC. My uncle played at North Carolina and he coached at North Carolina and South Carolina. Uh, my mom went to school at North Carolina, so. I was the black sheep of the family. Both of my sisters went to UNC. Um, so I grew up around that program, you know, riding the tractor, dragging fields after games, taking ground balls with guys, spending summers in Omaha really for four or five years, four years in a row uh, at one point. 
in our childhood. So my appreciation for the coaches there, how they treated people from you know, Coach Williams in basketball to Coach Fox, now Coach Forbes, uh, Coach Jackson, who's at Liberty, a number of people that we were fortunate to be around at an early age that really like, you take for granted, assuming that that's just how people did their business in baseball. And that's something that I'm super grateful for uh, to be able to have learned from the different things that they were living out and putting into place for aspiring young players to, to play at the collegiate level. So for me growing up, college baseball was what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of a works standpoint within the game, but I knew I wanted to play college baseball. And that was, uh, that was elevated even above playing professionally as a young kid. And part of that, I think, was because I got to see a number of really good players from you know, Dustin Ackley, Kyle Seeger, uh, Matt Harvey, Andrew Miller, Daniel Bard. Like, there's a, a huge list of players that came through that program, as well as that they were competing against uh, in the ACC and then obviously on, on the national landscape. So that time in my life was extremely important for uh, the ignition phase of, of loving the game, of you know, keeping me around the game and also giving me something to shoot for. Um, so I'm super grateful that my parents were able to keep me around that. And obviously the coaches who allowed me to be around as a young kid, uh, they very easily could have kicked me out for asking a bunch of dumb questions at that time. Um, but I appreciated that. And those relationships have, are still existing to this day. Yeah. And I mean, having the opportunity, obviously, to um, just learn by osmosis, by being around college baseball and programs, players and coaches and just good baseball minds, obviously, which essentially in a great direction. Now, um, I know you have some some pro ball experience as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let's dig into that because the a topic that we discuss on this show consistently and constantly sort of finding your fit, uh, finding your opportunities. Uh, I think it's kind of funny that you didn't find it at UNC, but you did find it yeah. at uh, South Carolina and then mm -hmm. do get your opportunity in pro ball. And so sort of what did that look like? And, you know, um, what was your experience like? In, yeah, yeah, so obviously those close relationships with UNC were something we valued, but when it came time to make that decision of, Hey, where do you want to go to school? I wanted to do something different. Like I wanted to carve my own path within the game. Um, at the time, South Carolina had won two national championships and then lost the third to Arizona. So the chance to potentially play for, for coach Tanner, a hall of fame level coach was something that I, I wanted to do. And I loved my time there. I have some really close friends that are that I consider brothers and family members that we were able to develop relationships with the experience of playing at an SEC program and, and trying to compete to go to Omaha was something that I'll never forget. And there were certain things along the way that I learned there that I was never going to learn being in my comfort zone in Chapel Hill. And so that's something that I really valued and, and my family valued too. Um, they, they encouraged me to, Hey, go do it, go step outside of this deal. Like you're getting the opportunity to do something that you wouldn't have had, uh, if baseball you know, kind of didn't provide this platform for you. Um, so my time at South Carolina, I spent four years there. Um, I had an injury in the Cape, my uh, 
sophomore sophomore year and couldn't really figure it out. I couldn't figure out what was the cause of the injury. Just knew that I had a lot of pain in my wrist and hand and area. Uh, so I played through it. Like I could still throw, I could still run and sprint, but I had zero top hand. I had zero, my movement patterns from the sling side were awful. Um, and I suffered because of that naturally. Uh, I would say at the time I had no idea what I was working on as well from the hitting side. Uh, I was just show up and play and then try to work as best as you can in the cages and try to improve on the areas that I was struggling in. But I didn't understand what <clears throat> I didn't understand what a hip hinge was at that time. I didn't understand the different patterns that I was creating for myself that were never going to allow me to succeed. So as I got closer to graduating, I started thinking about what am I going to do outside of baseball? Um, obviously wanted to play professionally, but was in a lot of pain and got done playing, had the opportunity to play, to sign a minor league contract, uh, as a senior. And I couldn't, I was struggling to make it through a full year of college baseball. So I was taping my hand up, doing rehab every day. I was struggling to make it through that. And I told my parents, like, I don't think I can do it right now. Like I physically am unable to do this and I don't want to go out like that. Like, I don't want to go do something for a week and then know that, Hey, you physically can't do it and you got to quit. Um, so I made the decision to move into the real world <laughs> and got an awesome opportunity to the internship with the Carolina Panthers that led to working with the Patriots in new England. Uh, for about six months. And then from there, I proposed to my wife. Uh, she was in Houston at the time. I was in New England and uh, ended up moving here about two months after we proposed. Um, moved here with no job, obviously out of the game of baseball that I loved and was out of what I thought was my next career path doing something in the NFL. Um, so I, I walked into a facility in January of that year, knowing I was getting married in seven months to say, hey, can I do some lessons here until I find what I think is a real job? I'm trying to get my feet under me. I don't know anyone here in Houston. And uh, Mark Quinn, who's actually a Rice guy, uh, played in the big leagues as well, was like, hey, man, like, yeah, you can do it. Here's the path that I want to provide for you. Um, this is something that you know he's done and run a facil facility since he really got done playing professionally. So I was super grateful that he provided that opportunity for me uh, to see what the, the youth landscape looked like for, for baseball here in Houston. I had no idea. Um, that led to me doing lessons and helping out with his travel teams in the evenings, really from 2 to 8 p.m. So in the mornings, I started training again. And I met a group here called Dynamic Sports Training. Uh, Lee Fiocchi and Garrett Kelly specifically were the two main guys who were uh, vital in allowing me the opportunity to play again. And I just told him, hey, you know, here's here's the injury I've struggled with. Um, here's what I couldn't figure out. Can you guys help me? And, and within 20 minutes of doing a biomechanical assessment, they said, hey, man, your your left glute, your left oblique, your left hamstring, they all don't fire. So that's a problem. Like you can't, you can try to swing and, and fix your swing as much as you'd like, but you're limited in what you can do based on what your body's constricted in right now. 
Um, so I said, all right, well, I just want to play golf again. Like I'm, you know, I'm three years out. Can I wake up with no pain, you know, stabbing feeling in my wrist at night? It's not enjoyable for me. Uh, and I'm like, I just like to be healthy. And they said, yeah, sure. Come work in, work out with us every morning. No problem. Uh, well, after about eight months, they're like, Hey man, here's where you're at from an athletic testing standpoint. Like if you think you want to play again, we can tell you where you're at based on the numbers that we value and some of the numbers that professional clubs value. I said, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, obviously I have no track record to go off. of. I was never drafted, never played professionally. There's no independent ball that I've got anything to show for. And they said, well, like, let's just run some, uh, (laughs) we can run a pro day. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll be there for sure. Um, Do you think anyone's going to come to it? And they're like, yeah, you know, we've got, a number of professional arms that are going to throw that will garner interest. Um, the people showed up for the arms. They were not showing up to, to watch me on the field. And it was funny because my wife came to that, uh, came to the deal and was like, Hey, how'd it go? And I said, it's great. You know, I feel great. So the only problem is I think I'm the only one out here who thinks it's a pro day. Uh, Cause there's no one else here to watch. And uh, so I, I kind of had it in my head that February of that year, I'm going to move on. I'm going to find a real job. And uh, this, this went on about February 15th. So I was completely okay with it. There was no bitterness or resentment in my body left for wanting to play. Obviously had the desire, but knew there was more exciting things going on with getting married and then uh, starting a, a, a new life with my wife at the time. And we, got a phone call from the angels two weeks after that about february 27th and they said hey if you'd like to try out we've got an opportunity for you there's no guarantees you gotta basically you're gonna pay your way here uh but if you make a team like then we'd start something and i was like yeah i'll be there (laughs) no doubt i'll be there um so I, i flew out or sorry i drove out to phoenix Camp started, I ended up making a team, started in low A in Burlington, moved from low A to high A with the Inland Empire, 66ers. And then uh, year two, we were going back and my wife and I had made the decision of like, hey, if we can keep rolling, we will. If not, then this is it. It's it's put up or shut up time. And uh, day one of camp was March around 19th, I think, uh, 2020. And that's when everything got shut down with COVID. So we pivoted at that point. We were like, look, it's time to roll. This stinks that this is how it's ended, but it's time to go. Um, there's nothing that I regret from this game. It's given me more than I could ever thought from an experience standpoint. So that was really my kind of segue back into baseball after being on the couch for three years. And then how did it correlate with some of the stuff with the youth landscape? Well, during those times of working out both in the off season and kind of getting, trying to get the opportunity to play again, I was testing different things that DST was giving me on the personal front that I had never really been exposed to uh, growing up. And the thought process there was, okay, you've got an athlete, like if you, think big picture, you've got an athlete, remove yourself from it. You've got an athlete that's 24 years old that pretty much is maxed out from a genetic 
potential standpoint. Um, the movement patterns have improved. The swing patterns improved. How would you do that if you started doing it with 12 year olds who are not actually close to maxing out their genetic potential? They're basically a blank canvas. And that part really excited a new interest in me within the game of I've never really worked with young kids before, you know, prepubescent athletes and tried to teach them different things. How could I do that? Because I think if I could do that, then I know what it's like at the collegiate side and the professional side. I think it'd be easier to communicate with those guys than it would be communicating to a guy with a lack of proprioception or self-awareness or just lack of general strength. So that part was, was kind of the transition of how we approached the experience in pro ball and then moving out of it. Um, because that was something that obviously I loved doing during that, that time frame, and, and saw a need for it here locally. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life and the Chime Checking Account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, and we're going to fast forward here a second and let the people know that D.C. Arendis is currently the director of player development at Rice University. Uh, if, if you can't see, he's, he's wearing his, his Rice pullover. Um, but before we get into what exactly he's doing at Rice and the director of player development role at every school is different, mm-hmm. um, different responsibilities, different tasks, whatever it might be. Uh, and what he's doing there and what he's building is a continuation of something that he started to hint on there, which is the Houston baseball initiative. Um, and that's kind of where I want to start all of this. Cause I think this is really the meat of the conversation is how did you begin thinking about a new model for youth development in baseball? So, um, you know, you touched on some of it there, but what are some of the things or ideas that kind of got you thinking differently uh, beyond, you know, your own personal experience mm-hmm. and, you know, taking your personal experience and framing it, you know, through a, 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 the lens of a 12 year old. Right. It's a good question. I think starting off the people who impacted me most in my life from the baseball side of things, obviously my dad, uh, Andy Parton, the founder and owner of the Dirtbags. I bounced a lot of ideas off of him very early on, on how would you approach working with young athletes if you were to do it all over again? Uh, and some of those conversations were really interesting naturally because it was like I could focus on what what can we do that maybe isn't provided as a solution in the current landscape of youth baseball? So in order to do that, I got to understand the youth landscape first. A large part of Houston plays in leagues. There's obviously tournament ball going on. There's way more games being played than practices. Some of that's because of the amount of people who live here, the markets, the top three market in the country for baseball. Some of that's because the weather's great. You can play the week before Christmas here. Not something we could do in North Carolina due to the weather. Um, so there was just different questions that I began to try to tackle and then had that conversation with a number of people in the game as well, whether it be Andy, whether it be a couple guys that were playing pro ball to say, hey, what do you think about this? Like, this is this is how you approach the game now. How would you approach it? if you had all the information that you have right now at 24 to 35 years old and wanted to encourage the youth to take the steps that maybe you were unaware of at your age. Um, So it started with trying to tackle those questions. What all is existing here? What are some of the things that you hear people from the group that you're interacting with from a lesson standpoint or a practice standpoint, what do you hear them saying consistently that could be viewed as complaints or maybe something that they feel like they're missing. And ultimately it came down to me to, if the emphasis is on more games than training, there's going to be kids getting, you call it burnout. They're going to be running to the ground from an arm standpoint because they aren't physically built up at a time where their bodies are very susceptible to injury. So, we, we started kicking the can down the 
the road of this is what we want to offer for a 10 month period of the year between September 1 and June 30th of that calendar year for, for an 11 to 13, 14 year old athlete. And what we settled on was two practices a week. The baseball phase in, in September and October would be two practices a week, 14 to 18 games during that time. Um, the games would end November 15th. Uh, November 15th through January 31st, the group would transition into a training phase. So two workouts a week, we begin to use load and sports from an athletic testing standpoint to be able to tell us one, where's the athlete at from a athletic standpoint, but also what are some of their deficiencies? What are some of the things we could pinpoint during this time that we know if we improve will correlate to their on-field performance in the spring? And then as we got to February, that was the bulk of the year. So that was the fusion phase, the games plus training with a higher emphasis on games because the spring season allows for that. So during that time, they'd play between 35 to 45 games. The practices would continue and the continued uh, load and sports testing and monthly monitoring would exist as well. Um, those things were pretty simple. Like those were pretty straightforward to, to be able to offer someone. The part that I felt like would also help young kids that I didn't, I wasn't exposed to until I really got to college was a character development curriculum that was kind of done in-house by your parents, but there wasn't a curriculum that we could say, okay, here's the five things we're going to go over with your kids over this 10 month period. And here's what we're targeting. One, what's, what's your son or daughter? What's their identity in? Is their identity in this game? If their identity is in this game, this is going to be a roller coaster of a 10 months because you're going to go for three. You're going to go four for four. It can't be rooted in something that's as fickle as the results of this game. So for us specifically for, from a foundation standpoint, we have a number of people who are Christians that said, we want to value this for our kids, but we also understand in the sports environment, you're going to reach people from all different walks of life, all different types of worldviews. How do we offer something that's team team development curriculum, but it's rooted in something? And that part of it is where I think the first two years of being able to walk through this stuff with kids, the baseball side is straightforward. The methodologies, we can, we can test and see if what we're doing works or if we need to adapt. We can do that. The character development side of how you respond to your teammates how do we interact with each other? How do we hold ourselves as coaches accountable for not selling out for some trophy on any given weekend? All of that, I think, was the gel um, to being able to make this work and hopefully be sustainable beyond you know just this two-year period that we've had up until this point. Um, and then the second part of, of what we wanted to do was offer opportunities for kids that want to be in the game long-term by leveraging the relationships we have from the professional and the collegiate level. And that meant getting some executives in, in pro sports to support, whether it be uh, provide opportunities to go to Astros or, or Yankees games, whether it was 
a number of pro guys in the offseason coming to share their story of adversity they faced. How did they respond to injury, their life journey to get where they are today? How could we bridge the gap for people that we knew in the game that valued the things that we wanted to pass on to these kids? How could we bring it all together? And while I'm here talking to you about it, it has not been just one individual doing this. I want that to be made clear. Uh, there are a number of people who have been working at this behind the scenes to make sure these opportunities get presented to kids and families here. Um, that has only been expanded by Coach Cruz's vision within the Rice Baseball Program, as well as the Rice Academy on how we can help connect love for the game to opportunities in the game beyond 11 to 14 years old. DC, um, yeah, obviously you went into a lot of depth there. I think I want to consolidate it a little bit, and I'm going to do my best to consolidate what you said. You identified that the youth model in Houston and, and likely all over the country is is pretty broken just in terms of all right, we're going to go play games, play games, play games year round. There isn't a whole lot of time for training. Bodies are getting beat up. Like it's, it's not conducive to development. You identify that and then you basically build out a model that involves, okay, we're going to play, but we're also going to train to an extent. And then we're also not just going to train from a skill standpoint. We're going to train from an athletic standpoint and we're going to build these bodies up and we're going to progress our athleticism as well. And I like that you were able to create a 10 month calendar that ebbs and flows depending on what time of year it is. Cause I think that gives kids a little bit more of an idea of like, Hey, this is what an actual baseball player goes through. Like it's not just the same thing for 365 days out of the year. Um, but I think in, you know, to, you, you spoke on it that there've been so many people involved in, you know, executing this vision and all of that, like, outside of you know playing a handful of games and in you know character development and athletic development i think from a skill development standpoint you were doing a lot of things um different from a practice standpoint you know to create more repetitions and more variability and more chaos if you will uh to accelerate skill development and and i think we'd be um you know, remiss to not mention Matt Pierce and in his role in, you Absolutely. know, some of that skill development curriculum. Cause you know, that's, you know, both of us know that guy is a mad scientist when it comes to baseball. So um, that I, I was always very uh, impressed by the whole structure of the thing, because it wasn't just like, Hey, we're going to stop playing more games. It was, you know, there's going to be different times of the year where you're going to play more games. There's going to be some times of the year where you're going to play less games we're going to encourage kids to play other sports. Uh, we're going to do training. And then the skill development side is really going to be kicked into gear on top of the character development. It was a really holistic program. Um, share with us, because this has been a couple of years in the, you know, you've been doing this for a couple of years. Share with us some of the, I guess, feedback that you got from parents that were in the program and maybe some of the early returns or small wins from the HBI. And then we'll transition that directly into what you're doing at Rice Academy. The feedback was, uh, has been positive and, and I view positive in the sense that both complaints and uh, voicing praise, like I view them both as positive. So for us, 
you mentioned Coach Pierce. Coach Pierce has been doing this for 15 years on the youth side, more so on the high school front of coaching high school programs. Uh, so it was effective too, because we had the ability to say, well, here's what you're getting offered in high school. Here's what you're being offered right now. Here's how we're trying to help you get there. And I think that wisdom um, that we could hopefully provide to, to families was something that they valued and still continue to value. I think the biggest challenge when you start talking about fits as it relates to what we offered versus maybe what's offered in other places, because there's a lot of really good programs here in Houston that may do things differently. And just because we do something one way doesn't mean we're going to disrespect other organizations who have a track record of helping guys get to the next level through other methods. Um, but the biggest thing I think was how do we keep true to what we're saying we're doing when the players get to a point where they want to play against some of the higher level competition in the city, because part of the development model has to be, if you have a, if you have periods of specific focus on the skill acquisition, skill development, as well as the athletic development, there has to be a point where you test it against in-game competition to say, okay, we've made some progress here. How do we teach the game in a different way, maybe in this environment or during this period of the 10-month uh, calendar to target the things that we were getting feedback on, both from the parents, from the in-game settings, from the athletic testing numbers, and then from our coaching staff uh, to say, this is, this is how we need to adapt. And I think that is, when you look at the game like long-term, that feedback is ultimately going to be what continues to provide room for you to adapt because there may be studies that come out five years from now that say, Hey, you could be more efficient in how you train by doing X. Well, if we believe this about athletic development, then we're going to need to up the, up the standard of what we're doing at that point. And I think that part excites me a lot. I think there's, um, so much more access to information for young players today to be able to pinpoint these areas of, of how they want to improve. And a large part of the feedback with parents is education too. How do we educate parents on this is why we're doing something. This is what we're trying to safeguard from. We hear you on maybe a complaint in this area, but this is why we're holding tight to, to saying this is what we're doing. Um, all healthy things. And, and ultimately there's going to be a point where the kids move on to do different things. That's natural, whether it be other sports. I haven't mentioned up to this point, we encourage multi-sport athletes. We've got kids that are playing football and basketball during five months of our 10 month year. So it's a, it's, there's always going to be moving parts within it. And I think, the best thing that we've done so far has been being able to say, this is what we're doing. We're sticking to it. If you want to be a part of it, great. If you want to be a part of different segments or different periods of the year, here's how you can, here's how you can do it. And that part I think is sustainable in being able to offer varying levels of commitment, but also 
different people want different things for their kids uh, throughout that year. Sure. So you've been doing this for a couple of years. Um, you've gotten good feedback. You've gotten some, you know, mixed feedback, mm-hmm. but overall it's been positive. I want to talk a little bit about like, okay, so what did, what did you actually observe with the group of kids that you were working with that sold rice on the idea that they should adopt something similar from a youth development standpoint in Greenlight Rice Academy, which we'll talk about here in a second. But like they, there had to have been some sort of barometer of success. I was like, oh, yeah, we need to do that. What was it? The athletic testing. Uh, I think when you talk about early stages of ba- of youth baseball, <clears throat> the athlete that's able to brute force the field or just simply outmuscle the game on the smaller field, that's more prevalent than the kid. It's more prevalent for the kid who's really good than it is the kid who may be a little undersized that you don't really know how to measure his improvement level on that same field. So for us, we were able to say, okay, for your three rebound jumps and your five single leg jumps over the course of a year, you know, we've pinpointed this through running, sprinting, jumping within how we take ground balls to how we turn double plays. It's a part of everything we do within that designated rep. Here's what we can show on that front. These are not phony numbers. There's no way to manipulate this. This is simply this athlete came in with this. Here's where he's at right now. And what we were able to show was from the three rebound jump standpoint, specifically with the athlete's height of how high they were getting off of the ground, they improved by 21%. Okay. What does that mean about their power? Well, their power improved 16%. For the five single leg jumps, their height improved 31%. Their power improved, improved 21%. So then how can we take that and look at that relative to on a bigger scale, if you had 15 to 20,000 athletes that you've tested, which is what Loden was able to provide us to say, here's where you're at in terms of what we've tested to say your improvements are marked by this. And here's the standard kind of progress that we're seeing within these different age groups across the country to be able to show that, that our athletes were outperforming the average in the areas that we were pinpointing, I think what had value, obviously, from Rice's standpoint, to be able to say, if you're going to be in a player development role, we want to know the methods that you believe in and how you're going to do it. Because it's it's different with a 12-year-old who's doesn't have any significant significant injury injuries that have occurred to maybe a 21-year-old athlete that he's closer to being tapped out. How are you going to improve that athlete as well? Um, So I think that was the initial conversation point that coach Cruz was interested in. Yeah. So in your role as director of player development at rice, you obviously work with the team. Um, That's your primary role in, in your second go around here. Um, you're taking on a little bit more responsibility and you are launching Rice Academy. I believe you've already launched it. Um, so just as simple and to the point as possible, what is Rice Academy? Rice Academy is a vision from Coach Cruz based on what he values in the game 
pinpointing all of the people that live in close proximity to rice that we want to grow up being rice fans to potentially be future owls at some point. Coach Cruz lived it himself. He played in a local league here, was a three-time All-American before being a first-round pick, playing in the big leagues for 15 years. He's lived it. And so I think when we started having this discussion, he was like, man, this is something I want for the people here in this community. Not only is Rice in the the heart of Houston, the amount of, of leagues and kids around the program there's 10, there's 10,000 kids around that. It's like, how do we reach them? How do we help them understand this is what we value in the game? Come have fun in an environment that's going to encourage you to compete, but it's also going to pinpoint the areas of, of skill development that we know we can help you improve in. Not a team, not we're building some roster out to go compete in tournaments. Simply come get better with the coaching staff and players at Rice because we value the relationships with the community and we want you guys to attend rice, hopefully be someone we can recruit uh, when the time is right. Um, And obviously from an NCAA standpoint, all of these athletes, they're 11 to fifth to eighth graders. So it's not the same focus as when we're going out to watch or recruit in Atlanta in the summer this is an environment that we can control specifically being focused on improving as a baseball player. And within rice Academy, we also launched a softball program as well. So softball is not a currently is not a sport at rice. It's something that we're trying to push forward. And hopefully some of the, the young girls that are in rice Academy could potentially be one of the groups that starts out here. Uh, in several years. What I think is fascinating about the way that you explain Rice Academy is that it almost parallels your own experience growing up around UNC, mm-hmm. where you're trying to recreate that ignition of, hey, if you're around here enough, you're going to want to be here. Right. Uh, and if you want to be here, then there's no reason to go look elsewhere if right. you're that level of player. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's something that, you know, you know, if you guys have some success with it, in the coming years, you could see a lot more programs begin to adopt something similar. It's outside the box. It's progressive. Um, you know, I, I think you talked about a lot of the reasons why rice is a good fit for this, but, um, you know, I guess kind of in, in your mind, you know, why are you at rice and why aren't you doing this somewhere else, uh, outside of relationships? I mean, this, like I said, this is something that could be, you know, taken anywhere yeah why is rice the fit to be the pioneer in this model for me it's relationships uh i know it's easy to say that but the opportunity to work with coach cruz coach janish i actually played coach bangs our pitching coach is a south carolina alum i actually played for him one summer in the coastal plains league my freshman year having the opportunity to work with each of those individuals on a daily basis and then collectively try to help rice get back to where they have been from the national prominence standpoint um, that excited me a ton and i thought it was the perfect fit for our family especially for this season of life with my wife and i having our our first child last year the opportunity 
of knowing you mentioned North Carolina those summers that we were in Omaha we were watching UNC compete against Rice so I saw it from a different angle at that point in my life and I saw and I I knew Rice the only thing I associated Rice with was being a top 10 program and the opportunity to potentially help in any way to aid from the development side of the position players and hitters with coach Cruz and coach Janish, it was something that I thought was a perfect fit. And it's a place that I love a place that I knew not a whole lot about from an academic standpoint of how prestigious the degree was uh, growing up in North Carolina. I just simply knew it for the baseball and now being able to see coach Cruz says it a lot. He's, he, he talks about rice guys. He's like, you're going to be a rice guy. Here's the things that we're going to uphold you to a rice standard, the, the way you communicate with people, how you handle yourself in the classroom, the opportunities that are going to be provided for you beyond this game. It's been really cool to see that lived out in the fabric of that, which was established by coach Graham, you know, in 1995, I think coach, coach Cruz was a part of that first group. And then obviously Coach Janish won the national championship, was a starting shortstop. These guys live and breathe rice. There's not one part of the program that they don't know about, that they haven't lived out, and that they know how to target to help get back to where we have been previously. And that project to me was something that I'm like, man, this is a perfect fit. Let's do it. They obviously believe in the same thing from a skill development standpoint. And it's not something where there's any phoniness to what we're doing. If there's something that we can improve in our practice plan at Rice with the infielders, uh, Coach Cruz and Coach Janish are very humble, very open to saying, yeah, if you've got a solution that we think could work, let's do it. And if we test it and we think it doesn't work, then we'll pivot from it. Um, that part of it has been really, really, really valuable to me in terms of just being able to, to learn from them from the wealth of knowledge they have the experience in the game and then the program fit of who rice is uh, historically yeah you guys have a beautiful facility um you've got access to all of the resources you know it's a very historic program as you mentioned i think most people listening to this podcast are probably aware of rice's history in the rapidly developing college baseball landscape, we're now in the age of NIL, a whole bunch of different things. The past couple of years have been a challenge for mid-major programs that aren't in the SEC, that aren't in you know, some of the bigger conferences. Um, I think everybody collectively who's been following the sport for a long time would love to see Rice get back to a certain level of prominence, top 25, uh, compete you know, in the postseason, potentially get back to Omaha. So, um, Sounds like you got the right people on board. Sounds like you got a lot of really exciting things going on. Um, and, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, really excited for the direction um, of the Rice Owls baseball program. And, you know, really appreciate you coming on and sharing, you know, about Rice Academy and about your background with HBI, I think from a development standpoint. And that's what we like to really spotlight, you know, on this podcast specifically is like, who are, the people in the baseball world that are doing things different or looking at things differently from a development standpoint, specifically on the youth side, mm -hmm. uh, you fit into that box in spades. Um, and again, appreciate you coming on and sharing all that with us, Jeff, you got anything else for DC? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I just uh, sat back and, and shut my mouth and uh, very much enjoyed it. I'm a parent of three, um, you know, have one who's been through Little League, another one who's mm-hmm. kind of heading into it right now, and then a daughter who plays softball. And one of my big gripes from day one was just the lack of practice, uh, the lack of skill development, just at the at youth level and the end point for a lot of these programs where you know we're pay- playing 12 games in a two-month season and maybe seeing six practices and you know i think that's really unfortunate um you know I, my kids play basketball they play football i think football is a sport and i've said this before where you know some of it's inherent you're kind of running with the ball you rip somebody's flag you know it's like basic stuff where there's so much complexity to baseball just just in terms of playing defense like where do you throw the ball what to do like react at, at, at the youth level that it takes two or three years for a lot of players because they don't get that practice time they don't get that instruction to pick up a lot of that stuff and i think we're already behind the eight ball especially when you're in cold weather environments like my right. son you know matt is now or matt grew up um we don't we have a limited calendar there's only mm-hmm. so many times that we can play throughout the year so i think programs like this uh as they get established throughout the country uh, are going to go a long way to develop players year-round, develop skills at an earlier age, um, track athleticism, focus on the things that matter, as opposed to the the show pony element of youth baseball, where we're just constantly playing games on games on games and not letting guys catch up and develop skills and get better. Not everybody has access to private coaches and all these mm-hmm. sorts. Of so I think programs like this are huge. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it serves a collateral benefit of um, developing people around the program, getting them familiar with the Rice program. And, you know, I think that's great. It has some similarities to like the youth academies that you see right. in the English football system, where mm-hmm. a lot of the best youth, youth academies aren't Manchester United or Arsenal or City or some of these big teams. It might be a Southampton or somewhere like that, or even teams in the second division where they are developing a lot of good youth players selling them off to go to bigger programs, go to bigger opportunities and going from there. So I think it's an exciting development. Uh, and I was excited to hear about it because I know Matt knew a lot about it. Matt knows you well. I didn't. So as an outside observer and parent, uh, I took a lot away from this conversation. So DC, thank you for coming on. He is uh, DC horrendous. He's the director of play development for Rice Baseball and uh, doing the Houston uh, Youth Baseball Initiative and all the other good things he's doing with Rice Academy. So thank you once again for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me.